0: So then, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, just to make sure that you're following along and and understanding clearly, what we're doing in these midweek services, excuse me, is that we're going to focus on where I particularly think we have the most challenge. Uh, it's it's kind of hard, right? I'm casting a wide net. You might not be challenged by certain things But I'm trying to give you a good foundation so what, that when you come across these things you'll have a better grasp and understanding in order to Take on this challenge and be changed and be made better Now I'm noticing that some of our, our snowbirds are returning from down south And some of you might not be super familiar with exactly what we're doing. So in this challenge we are seeking the red of Jesus, where many Bible translations use uh, red font to, uh, to highlight Jesus' words. And so we are challenging ourselves to live those words of Jesus, to follow in his footsteps, to follow in his teachings. And especially this week, we're looking at his teachings on forgiveness. And in forgiveness, we are constantly reflecting, living in, going back to, however you might want to say it, we're reflecting on this grace that God has given us, that we have received. But I think the, the best thing for us to do is always to get a really good understanding. And probably after hearing me preach a couple of times, you've gotten the understanding of how I like to do things, as I like to to take something and to look at it from every angle, to get the best understanding of it. And so to understand forgiveness, we really need to understand why we need forgiveness, what we need to be forgiven of. And of course, that's sin. So how do we best understand sin? And a lot of times we might think of it as it's just the bad stuff we do, right? Oh, I don't murder people, I don't steal, I haven't committed adultery, I'm doing pretty good at this not-sinning thing. But as I keep studying and, and growing myself, I keep coming back that sin is really where we seek to replace God. Where we go into the face of God and say that you're not in charge, I'm in charge. I'm in charge of my own life. I'm in charge of others. I'm in charge of truth. I'm in charge of my sexuality. I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of that. I'm in charge of everything, not you. If we reflect on on the story from Genesis chapter 3, this is what they're doing. They are seizing truth for themselves apart from God. As we look further and further at sin, it's where we are replacing God. We murder because we say we're in charge of life. We steal because we say we are the ones who get to determine who gets what. So this is why those Ten Commandments of Exodus chapter 20 are still so important to us. They're still so valid to us. Because really, sin at its very core is God. Constantly and consistently breaking the first commandment. Where God says, don't have any other gods, we say, well, why not? I see gods in all the things that I have, in my money, in myself. But then we, we hear God's word, we, we hear and are shown our own sin, and we reflect and go, well, what do we do? because I now can see and notice that there is this brokenness in me. And Moses and the prophets of old have all said, we need a new heart. We need an internal change. And in our modern words, in our modern world, we would say that we need to change our minds. And regardless of how you put it, we need change. Which is why when we turn to the Gospels, this is the first thing that Jesus says. His beginning sermon is repent. And what does repent mean? Very simply put, repent means change. And when Jesus says repent, he says change because the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change. Turn from these old ways. Come back to God because God is here to welcome you in. But yet the problem that many of us have is it's not here in any way that we would expect. Right? this is some strange homeless guy who is doing miraculous things and saying miraculous things and, and doing all these amazing things but he says that the son of man himself has no place to lay his head he has no home he wanders, he teaches this is a guy who hangs out with the worst of the worst probably just, I don't know There's, it's so strange Every, everything we look at Jesus he is this oddity not at all like we would expect the kingdom of god but yet the kingdom of god is here in fullness and in completeness and especially in perfection in the person of jesus christ because god is here to save sinners to, say, to save all those people who have constantly said, I don't need you, God. I can do this on my own. Jesus is here to, in a very holy and loving way, smack you upside this head and say, stop it. Change. Turn from these evil ways. Turn back to God, knowing that he is master and Lord of all. And the miraculous and beautiful change that we see is that we are changed from death to life. We are from damned to redeemed. Because the kingdom of heaven is here. And the challenge for us is then to live in this grace. We love the cross. As I so often remark, the cross is everywhere. Everywhere we can put one in a church, we're going to do it. So many of you sitting out there are wearing crosses around your neck. Because this is the focal point of our salvation, where Christ takes our guilt and our shame and dies in our place to give us life and freedom and redemption. But how do we live in that grace? Because for so many of us, guilt and shame keep beating us up and knocking us down. So how do you keep coming back to this grace to be charged and energized in the absolute love that God has given you? And so in order to seek a fuller understanding of that, we need to understand judgment. So often throughout Scripture, the writers have used courtroom language. Satan is not a name. It's a title. He is the prosecutor, basically. He is the one who accuses. All of our, our huge theological terms like justification. He's, this is courtroom language. God as Father is judge, and he stands behind his, his mighty throne judging the wicked and the righteous. And what Christ has done is taken our place. But I think as we reflect upon judgment, judgment is kind of hard for us because so often we put a negative spin on judgment, right? Because judges are stern people who rule with an iron fist. They can make one statement that changes the rest of your entire life. But the reality is that judgment is neutral. It's it's a completely neutral thing. Laws are neutral things. They by themselves are not good or bad. They just are. Because judge, and excuse me, judgments are like rulers, right? On a ruler, you don't really have anything other than something that tells you how long an inch is. A law, a judgment, these are standards by which we then can say whether something is good or bad from what we do. This is what we measure up against. Without judgments or laws, what declares us righteous or unrighteous? But what we have done in sin is that we have thrown away those standards. We have incorrectly kept them. We have lied. We have slandered our brothers and sisters. We have murdered by the hatred in our own hearts. So often we hate, we hate reading books like Leviticus because they're so filled with these laws where we see that I haven't done that. I haven't done that. Oh, I haven't done that either. We have broken all of these laws. And as Jesus opens up the law even more in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he opens this up to show where the corruption truly is. It's not in our actions of not following the law. It's in our broken hearts that sin has just destroyed. These good standards, the good and perfect law of God, is nothing but death for us now. Because we just can't do it. We just cannot do it. We are told not to have any other gods but the Father in heaven, and we just cannot do it. The law, as you might remember from catechism, shows us our sin. It's like a mirror that reflects all of the wrongs. But again, this courtroom language you are taken before the judge and the judge declares you innocent you are not guilty how is this possible it's, it's almost ridiculous, it's silly, it makes zero sense, because we are guilty, we have broken the law. If we are serious about our sin, about the law, then we can look at it at, as we look at ourselves in the mirror, and we can see all of the blemishes, and all of the wrongs, and all these other things where we just look at the law and go, I'm nothing but a failure, but yet we go before the Father expecting condemnation, and he says, you're free to go. It doesn't make any sense. But it's not about whether or not it makes sense. It's about how God can show you who he is. God is a God, a being of love and mercy. Who adores you. You who are just one part of a vast creation. Each one of you are so unbelievably valued by God. And he has judged you as innocent. Where you should be declared guilty, where you should be sentenced to death, you're not. You're free. Because the reality of things is that Jesus has taken your place in guilt he has taken your place in execution and you are set free. And things don't end there because this is who our God is. Not only is he full of grace, mercy, forgiveness, and all of those wonderful gospel language things, but he is also full of life because Jesus' grave is found vacant, it's empty. There's no corpse there. There's no rotting bones. There's nothing. There's just some cloth that he took off and laid back down. Because he's risen. He is alive. And because he lives, we will live. Because he was declared guilty and we were declared innocent, there is life. And again, it doesn't make sense. But as St. Paul himself has said, the cross and all of this stuff is foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the gift of God. It's not about what makes sense to us. It's about how God can show you his love. How you can live free from the guilt and shame of sin. Live, Live free from the judgment of the law. And now you are free to follow the law. It's strange how this freedom actually changes our hearts and changes how we observe the law. We now look at the Ten Commandments and say, I don't want to break those things, rather than saying, I have broken these things. It looks, it looks for us as a good and holy standard for us to guide our lives by. And why? Because it is to God's glory. Now, instead of the law being a mirror to reflect our brokenness, we become mirrors to reflect God's glory. And so now in life, as we are freed, as we are renewed, as we're changed, that means that we do things differently as well. Normally, when we read books like Leviticus, when's the last time we read Leviticus in church? I mean, really. We don't like it. Because it's hard to read, because it just shows us our sin. But yet now today, knowing the fullness of God's grace, we hear, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we're like, yeah, I want to do that. I do want to love my neighbor. I don't want to show partiality. I do want to judge in righteousness. I I don't want to hate my brother in my heart. I do want to reason frankly. We look at these books like Leviticus and it turns now from judgment, negative judgments against us to how we can judge our own lives, how we can rule and guide ourselves as we walk as God's children. And what's interesting about these things is there are many laws in Leviticus we don't follow. We don't do sacrifices on this altar. I don't know if you've noticed that. Hopefully you have. But we don't do sacrifices. So why aren't we following all of Leviticus? Well, it's because these very same things its from the Sermon on the Mount. It's from when Jesus is tested by somebody who seems to know the law and wants to justify himself. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, love God and love your neighbor. But then that doesn't mean complete freedom, right? That because we have been redeemed by Jesus, that doesn't mean that we can just go out and sleep with whoever we want, kill whoever we want, take whatever we want. That's not how this works. James, which is a book specifically for Christians walking in the faith, has serious warnings for us to be humble before God. To be very humble before God. Matthew has more warnings for us to watch out for our own faults instead of looking at others for their faults. Judge not, or you will be judged. And we kind of think, well, what do you mean, Jesus? Don't we get to do this? Like, you, you've set us free. Can't we do that again? It's a little bit different. Because if I condemn a brother or a sister, what am I doing? I'm replacing God and I'm breaking the first commandment and it's back to square one. But if I fall in line with God in his judgments, I am just walking with God, right? So it's the sort of thing as we cannot declare something not a sin when God has declared it a sin, right? Right? Our judgment is to fall in line with what God has already declared. Paul brings this up uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. Many of you probably know this one very well from Confirmation. Scripture is God-breathed. But we forget the rest of it. Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training... These are all judgment words. In order to reprove somebody, you have to make a judgment. So how do you make a good, holy, and righteous judgment? Well, it's by walking with God. Right? It's not seeking to replace him, but it's relying on him and his authority saying, these are the set standards that I have to judge based off of, and now I'm looking at you to make that proper judgment. And as we look at Matthew chapter 7, we're not doing this without first seriously looking at ourselves. We are not judging until we have stopped and looked at ourselves. So here's the challenge. is to follow up in that judgment. Because what you're doing is you're placing yourself in the mercy and grace of God's judgment on sin... But not so that you have permission to just go right back to being the way you were. Rather, it is this transformation that God has given you to set you free. For some reason, God has decided to partner with this sinful and broken creation. And this sinful and broken creation, God has decided to gather into groups of people, which he calls the church. And he has called broken men like me and broken people like you to all gather together to live in holiness and righteousness together, to partner together, to bring his kingdom here. And he has given us, for your old fashioned Lutheran ears, the law and the gospel, to learn how to walk by his side, to walk with him. To serve him in honor and in glory. To have good, righteous, and holy judgment of people. Not to stop and say, I'm better than you and I can judge you. But to stop and lead people to repentance. To lead people to that very same grace and mercy that you yourself have received. God has decided to partner with us To bring about his purposes. God was judged guilty so that you would be innocent. And there are so many out there who are dying who have no idea about this grace. So your challenge in this week is not only to understand how you are forgiven, but to bring that forgiveness and grace to the world around you. Amen? Amen. Amen.